Church family, I'll invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to consider the last uh, four verses this morning where we left off last week, just this last final paragraph of chapter uh, 9. As you find your place in God's Word and get your notes out, uh, I just want to celebrate what we did yesterday. The men of our church gathered yesterday morning, um, pretty much the entirety of the morning, uh, to be challenged that there is no off-season in the Christian faith. There is no off-season in what God is calling the men of this church to do, and leading in their homes, leading in our congregations, and training ourselves for godliness. We had a wonderful morning together. Uh, we were blessed by uh, some great Bible teaching from, our, uh, from the pastor of one of our partner churches, Hobson Buto, who pastors Pocosin Baptist Church. Uh, men, if you missed this, uh, we're going to do this, not the full conference quarterly, but we gave out a book at the conference to all the men that attended, uh, and we're going to have some discipleship breakfasts in the coming uh, months where men of our church kind of teach through some of the subjects that were in that book. The first one is at the very end of April, so look for more information uh, about how you could be involved in that, and we'll make sure that we have some of those books uh, in the Equip Center in the coming weeks for men who did not participate in the conference, you could grab one uh, and be a part of that with us. For all the men, a part of our men's ministry that helped to make yesterday possible, uh, thank you so much uh, for serving the men of our church. And ladies, our ladies' conference, our women's conference, is in the summer every year. So look for that information about that coming up uh, in June. I'll invite you to stand with me now as we honor the reading of God's Word. Short passage today, starting in verse 24 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The Apostle Paul writes, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gathered body of believers that is Nansman River Baptist Church, for the goodness and grace that you have shown to us, your children, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, made known to us throughout the ages, through your word. We thank you, God, that you have spoken to us and that we are called to run this race, not the race of life, but the race of following after Christ, the race of Christian discipline, of a disciple, and that you have provided all that we need through the truth of your word and the indwelling power of your Holy Spirit in our lives to succeed to obtain the prize, to endure and to persevere the obstacles that are in our path. Father, we pray for your help now as we approach your word. 
we ask, God, that you would help us, challenge us, correct us by the right preaching of it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As we consider these last verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I've entitled this message, Perseverance Matters. My wife and I have been married for over two decades now, and early in our marriage, prior to children coming along, we would sit and talk about what we thought our family would be like, what maybe we thought our children would be like, our home would be like, the things that we would do. We thought for sure we were going to have children that played football. See? We love football. My wife named our children after football players, Alabama football players, which I fought against every step of the way, and nonetheless, they were. That's what we thought was going to happen. I mean, how could they not? We, we watch college football from the time it comes on till just our eyes can't stay open anymore in the fall. The thing that I never thought I would become, that we never thought we would become, would be gymnastic parents. And yet that is what we are. We joke about it sometimes. Really, we do. How did we get here? Well, we know how we got there. Ten years or so ago, we were blessed by God to adopt our youngest son, AJ, from India brought him home, and about a year later moved here, and about a year after that realized this child needs some type of outlet and uh, for all the energy that the Lord had blessed him with. And so my wife found a place that was offering a free homeschool gymnastics day, and they went, and he took to it like like a fish in water. And then we found a local gym here and put him in a rec class just one day a week. Hey, or just go and like climb the walls at this place because it's safe. It's better than climbing the walls at our house. And Not too many months into that experiment, a man approached my wife in the lobby of the gym and said, I coach the boys team here and we think AJ would be really good at this. Would, would y'all consider him doing competitive gymnastics? Now, for those of you that know AJ, they're struggles and challenges that this child faces in life and we said are you you sure I mean he had not been here all that long and in America we were still learning English and some things and the coach said yeah I think we can overcome that so let me let me work with him and that was a number of years ago and uh, leads up to yesterday we get up here my oldest son and I come for the men's conference we're here all the way until noon and I quickly hurried out after it was over went and gathered Christy and our youngest son to drive to Richmond for uh, one of the many gymnastics meets that he competed in uh, this, uh, this season. Been doing that now for years. And, and gymnastics has very, been very instructive. I'm going to use this kind of as an illustration throughout the sermon. It's very instructive for us as we've watched this young man who faces numerous challenges learn little by little how to do things that, I'll be honest with you, I could never imagine him doing anybody doing in all honesty but but that that's what it means to persevere 
to, to discipline yourself in, in any pursuit is, is just to, to incrementally, little by little by little, overcome challenge after challenge until you have, have become something that you weren't ever sure you would be. And that's what Paul calls us to here through this chapter, to, to persevere in the Christian life in such a way that just incrementally, through discipline, like an athlete, we, we become something else. We, we run a race with a prize at the end. The main idea of today's sermon is that Christian perseverance, like athletic competition, requires discipline to obtain the prize. The entirety of Paul's illustration here at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is about athleticism. And so if you're not a sports watcher, and I started talking about sports here, and some of you are already like, oh, we're going to talk about sports this morning. I'm not talking about sports this morning, but sports is the metaphor. It's the only metaphor that he uses in, in this paragraph. And, and it is a universal metaphor. Every culture in the world has sports. Now, we don't all have the same sports. I mean, some places in the world play soccer. Sorry to the soccer. I know it's gaining in popularity. It's fine, but come on, man. <laughs> Football exists. They may do different kinds of sports in different places around the world, but sports is this universal metaphor. We get it from the ancient world until our you know, postmodern society. Everybody kind of understands this. And so while some metaphors, illustrations, cultural connections that we find in Scripture need a lot of explanation. Sports metaphors don't. We read this passage and we're like, oh yeah, I understand exactly what this guy's talking about. Our question is, how does this apply to what we are striving for as followers of Christ today? I want us to kind of take apart this metaphor in three different sections. The first is this, that the race of Christian perseverance is difficult. The race of Christian perseverance is difficult. Paul begins this paragraph, this metaphor, by saying, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. So he introduces the metaphor with a rhetorical question. Don't you know... That in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. It seems as if ancient Roman society had not embraced yet the participation trophy. That there, there would be a lot of people who would run, and Paul has a specific race in mind, and I'll explain it in a minute. There would be a lot of people who would, who would run, and yet only one of them would receive the 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 perishable prize that he's going to reference here in a moment. The reason, Paul, again, it, sports is universal for us, but there's specific games that Paul has, certainly has in mind as he writes to Corinth. They were known as the Ismian Games. They are almost as old as the Olympic Games and were second in the ancient world in popularity to the Olympic Games. Instead of being once every four years, they were once every two years. The Ismian Games took place the year before the Olympics, 
and the year after the Olympics. So it was the place that, that the world's greatest athletes would go uh, in, in preparation for the Olympics, and then they would go to defend what they had done and accomplished in the Olympics. The Ismian Games had been going on by the time of Paul for over six centuries. And they were always hosted in Corinth, even during that 200-year period of time where Corinth had been destroyed, the games went on. And so Paul leans into the cultural relevance of these games and their difficult nature to illustrate the perseverance needed through the difficulties that come with following Christ. He, he's, he's just in this brief metaphor saying, don't you know that all the runners in a race run? And when they hear runners in a race run, they were thinking of what was the most popular race in the Ismethian Games and in the Olympic Games. So actually, the very first Olympic sport was a sport named after a word that we get our word stadium from. It was a 200-yard race that... 20 competitors would compete in. And it was, if you won that, it was like winning, they treated you like you won the entirety of the Olympics. Not just your game. You were the guy that won the whole thing. And it was seen as as the crown jewel of athletic competition in the ancient world. It was difficult. It required the greatest athletes to to have a chance to win. And and so when he says, don't you know that all the runners in a race run, but only run receives the prize. And he says, he turns to them and says, so run that you may obtain it. He's not saying become Olympic athletes. He's not saying become runners. Praise God, right? As someone who hates running. I'm glad Paul's not actually calling me to physically run, although I could probably use it. He's calling us to run a different kind of race, a kind of race that perseveres after Christ. And and he's not alone, by the way, in using this kind of language about the Christian life and thinking about the Christian life as a difficult race in which Christians are called to persevere. This is actually the perspective that we see in the entire New Testament about the Christian life. The Christian life is hard. It's difficult. There's obstacles that, 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 that you're going to have to overcome. You're going to have to persevere. For instance, the brother of Jesus writes in his letter to the churches in James chapter 1. He begins his letter. Historians think this is likely, if not one of, maybe even the first letters written to the Christian church by an apostle. And at the very beginning of it, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, it was just assumed in the New Testament church that, that the Christian life was going to be difficult, that trials were going to come. And, and James says that we should be joyful when they come. 
that we should look at the course set in front of us, this, this race that we are going to run, recognizing that it is difficult and be joyful about it at the same time. Why? Because trial tests us. Trials do exactly what the word says. They try us. And, and they, they often, early in the Christian life, trip us up. The, the, nobody's, nobody's great at anything that's hard the first time they do it. N- n- most people aren't great at anything that's hard the hundredth time that they do it. But we do things 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times, 10,000 times, and, and we train ourselves to become good at it. And James looks at the Christian life and says, yes, it's difficult, and that difficulty is actually good for you, so be joyful in it because as you face trials, you're then tested, and as you're tested over and over again, you learn to become steadfast, and as you become steadfast, you end up being perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You end up in the place that you want to end up, but if you're not running the difficult race, if you're just standing at the starting line, thinking that there's a participation trophy at the end, then, then trial isn't going to have its effect in your life because you're never really overcoming anything. You're never really being tried in any way. You're not being tested in any way. The Christian life is difficult. Maybe you came here this morning wanting somebody to tell you that it was going to be easy to follow Jesus. I, I'm sorry if I'm the first person to break it to you. It's not. It's not designed to be that way. <laughs> it, it, it's not designed to, to, to be this, this you know, rosy little path that we just kind of wander through. You, you ever see somebody like walking on some trail or on some, you know, some running track and they're just kind of, you know, they got their earphones in and, and, and you know, they're, they're walking through, they're walking around that trail just like they're, you know, walking through the grocery store or something. They're just taking it easy, you know. That, that's not what the Christian life is supposed to be like. Now, if you look at yours, you're like, mine's kind of that way. You need to ask the question, why? Why is it that? Are you really running the race that, that has obstacles and that has trials and that requires perseverance? And what we need to recognize is that those obstacles and trials can hinder us. And that we need to, we need to be eyes wide open in this. That we need to be aware that these hindrances could stand in our way. For instance, in Galatians, in, the, in Paul's letter to the church at Galatia, he, he's, he's writing to them. It's the most aggressive letter that we have in the New Testament. Paul planted the gospel in, in that city. These people believed. He, he leaves. And early in, after leaving, he gets reports back that they have wandered away from the true gospel. And they have been, they have been taken in by legalists by people that are wanting to, to impose some legalistic practices within the, within the church. And in Galatians 5, Paul says this to them. He says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? 
He uses that same kind of metaphor, this metaphor of a race. And imagine somebody who, who's, who's running a race and all of a sudden an obstacle's in their path and it trips them up. That's the, that's the image that, that's cultivated in Galatians chapter 5. They were doing so well and then all of a sudden they were, they were tripped up. We, we need to understand that the difficulties of the Christian life if we're not careful, can end up hindering our, our race. But we are called to persevere in the midst of whatever obstacle comes. You say, is this just the way that the apostles thought about the Christian life? Is, or is this really the way that even Jesus himself thought about it? Well, what the apostles had to say, carried along by the Holy Spirit, is the word of God. But if you want to show you where Jesus said it, I'm glad to do so. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, they will deliver you up to tribulation. He's talking about people that are going to persecute them. They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray and become lawless and, and because lawlessness will, will increase, the love of many will grow cold. So listen to all the obstacles and some are not going to persevere through it. And they're going to fall away and, and, and their hearts are going to grow cold. But listen to what Jesus says in verse 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, is Jesus saying that we can't have assurance of our salvation because we have not yet persevered to the end? No. Those who are in Christ can be assured of this. If you are really in Christ and, and the Holy Spirit is in you, that you will persevere to the end. You will endure to the end. You will future tense be saved if you are present tense saved. But it requires of us a dedication, a perseverance to run a race that we know is difficult. Number two, the prize of Christian perseverance is eternal. Paul says every athlete, in verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Now I want to come back at the end of, in the third section and deal some with self-control in all things. What does it mean to exercise self-control in all things. Well, let me just briefly address it here because I want to focus in this second point on the eternal prize that is set before those who are running the race of Christian perseverance. Paul says every athlete exercises self-control in all things. So what he's saying is these, these runners, these athletes, these competitors are intentional for a purpose. At the end of the previous verse, he says, run in such a way that you will obtain it. So the prize is the goal, okay? The trophy, the reward at the end is the goal. And there's some practices that athletes have with their eye on the prize. There, there's some practices that they put into place. There's some self-control that they practice. He says, in all things... Because their desire is the, is the ultimate outcome, winning the race, winning the competition, and receiving the prize. Now, we're going to deal more with the self-control again, but I want you to get that picture in your mind that they are all working for the end. 
which Paul calls a perishable wreath. Now, let's talk about the imperishable wreath of the Isthmian Games. I didn't know this. I knew about the Isthmian Games. I knew about its connection to the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. But until I was doing my research this week on this passage and uh, on those games, I did not realize the nature of the imperishable wreath. I had always read, like you could just assume, that the, that the uh, perishable wreath would have been some kind of wreath formed into a crown, kind of picture, picture a Greco-Roman athlete, right? They always have this, those have this little crown made of something perishable. It's made of some kind of plant life. What I didn't know was what, it was, what the primary component of that plant life was for the Ismian Games. Are you ready for what it was? It was celery. The, <laughs> the, the second most difficult and prized games in the ancient world that lasted for centuries, you were considered one of the most prized athletes. I mean, you, they prized their athletes in the same way that we prize our athletes. I mean, people knew who they were. They traveled from town to town. They had sponsors. I mean, th- these were big people. And they would win these games and be like, here's some celery. I, ca- I can't even imagine. They would make a crown out of the part of the celery that we throw away. We eat the bottom part, but you know it's got the leafy stuff at the top. You can't even hardly buy that. It's just garbage. And they would make it into a crown, and they would present it as a, as a crown. So when Paul says they do, they do it to receive a perishable prize, but we an imperishable, think, think about the contrast that he's given. The prize for these great athletes is celery. We have something far greater. Now, let's just pull that into today, pull that into things like the Olympic Games today, which we could say, you know, the most prized athletic competition in our world, at least today. And they're, they're, they're giving you win, you get gold. Well, that sounds better than celery. I'll take gold over celery. Any, actually, you don't ever need to give me celery. I'll be fine. Gold, uh, we, you know, we can talk about it. But, but they, you know, they'll give them a gold medal. Athletes in America paid hundreds of, some of them, the best ones, hundreds of millions of dollars. I said, well, maybe that's a, that maybe that's a crown worth working for. It's still perishable. It, you still can't take it with you. You may put it in a trophy case. It may fill up your bank account, but one day you'll die and you'll leave that thing here. You know, Jesus talks about this moth and rust will eventually destroy everything that we prize here. But Christians are running a race with an imperishable prize. Back in James chapter 1, James speaks about that same idea. He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So, So what's the imperishable prize that we have? Well, Paul calls it an imperishable prize. James calls it a crown of life. And what we're called to do is run the race of Christian perseverance with our eyes affixed on the prize. Have you ever heard the phrase, keep your eye on the prize? 
I had to do some research this week to see where that came from. I was pleasantly surprised. It comes from an early 20th century spiritual song that in the mid-20th century became uh, connected to the civil rights movement. In part, the spiritual would read, it was referencing scripture, Paul and Silas bound in chains, had no money for to go to bail, keep your eyes on the prize, hold on. Paul and Silas thought they were lost, dungeon shook and the chains come off, keep your eyes on the prize, hold on. Freedom's name is mighty sweet and soon we're gonna meet, keep your eyes on the prize, hold on. I got my hand on the gospel plow, won't take nothing for my journey now, keep your eyes on the prize, hold on. I should change our perspective on the phrase, keep your eyes on the prize, because you see so many things that we think are a prize in this world are perishable. They're basically celery. But the call of the Christian life is to run a race of perseverance with our eyes on an imperishable prize. And Hebrews chapter 12 tells us what that imperishable prize is. The author of Hebrews writes, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What does the author of Hebrews tells us the prize is? The prize is Jesus. The crown of life is Jesus. The imperishable wreath that we are running our race, not with our eyes fixed on the obstacles around us, not on our, with our eyes fixed on how much further we have in the race, but our eyes fixed firmly on the one who is the prize at the end. Hear me, Christians. Jesus is far better than celery. He's even better than a gold medal. Oh, AJ loves getting medals. He loves it. I I think it's one of the reasons he loves gymnastics. So, because at the end, when he does well, he gets medals. We've had to build uh, multiple devices in his room to hang them all up. At this point, he has hundreds of them. None of them are worth what Jesus is worth. What else are you pursuing in this life? Maybe for a young adult in this room, it's a college scholarship. Maybe for the adults in the room, it's something like a promotion or the American dream that you just, you have your eyes fixed on something that is perishable, that it's basically celery in this life. But Christians are called to run a different kind of race. We're not in the rat race of the American dream. We're in the race of perseverance with Christ at the end, with Jesus as our prize. There is no greater prize because the rest of this fades away. All of these things that people accumulate for themselves, they eventually become nothing. But Jesus will always stand as the greatest prize. And so we run the race with endurance with our eyes set on Jesus, looking to him because he is the greatest prize we could ever have. Number three, 
the disciplines of Christian perseverance are necessary. In verse 25, he talk, Paul talks about self-control, that the athletes practice self-control in all things. And then he kind of returns to that idea after talking about the, the prize that's, that they're practicing self-control so that they can receive. He kind of returns back to this idea of discipline. And he says in verses 26 and 27, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Verse 26 is actually two examples, and they're outlandish examples. If we understand them rightly, we should understand that Paul is talking kind of tongue-in-cheek here. First, he says, I do not run aimlessly. So the first example that Paul gives is one who is not disciplined, is a runner who would start at the, at the start line, lined up with everyone else, and, and, the, and the, the announcer would say go, and everyone else would go in the direction that the race is intended to go, but that the, this other runner would just kind of run around in any direction that he wants to go. Could you imagine? Some of you are runners. Like you've run, there are people that have run marathons in this room. I don't understand you, but praise God for you. Maybe we one day will need a message delivered 27 miles away, and you'll be the only option we have. <laughs> and you love that kind of stuff. That's where the word marathon comes from. They need to deliver a message. The guy dropped dead at the end of it, by the way. That ought to be a lesson. And so... Could you imagine marathon runners? Could you imagine you're going to do the New York City Marathon, the Boston Marathon? You're going to do one of these big marathons. And there's a, there's a clear path, a clear path. There was a runner just last summer running in a marathon who at the very end took a wrong turn. He was winning. He lost out on $10,000 because he took a wrong turn. So could you imagine standing at the start line of one of these things, one of these famous marathons, and everybody's running one direction, and you're like, I think I'll run 27 miles the other way. That's what it means to run aimlessly. And Paul says, we don't, we're not, I'm, not, I'm not running aimlessly. Christianity isn't running aimlessly. Christianity is a set path. That the, 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 the race of perseverance has Christ at the end. And I think if there's anything that the modern American church is doing, it's we're running aimlessly. I'm not saying this church. I'm just saying if you look out over the landscape of Christianity, people are just kind of making their own paths. They're like, oh, well, I can run this way if I want to and Jesus will still be at the end. Or I can run this way if I want to and Jesus will still be at the end. No, there is a set path we're supposed to run. There is a righteousness that Christ has established that we are supposed to walk in. He is the end. We're running towards him. So we don't run aimlessly. The second kind of outlandish example that he gives in verse 26 is a boxer beating the air. You say, what does he mean that a boxer's beating the air? It means that this guy's not fighting anybody. Now, I came up in what I consider the golden age of, of boxing when we had Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield. And I know some of you are older and you're like, no, that wasn't the golden age, right? But I think it was. I mean, there, there, was, some, there was some great boxing in the late 80s and the 1990s. But could you imagine one of these guys, you know, these big prize fights and, and one of these guys getting in the ring, but there's no opponent there? 
and yet he goes on about the, 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 the match like he's, like he's boxing somebody that's, that's not there. That, that's the image that Paul gives. You, you don't, you're not running aimlessly. You're not, you're not beating the air. Your opponent's over here, and all, but you're fighting something that, that doesn't exist over here. Where he calls us to discipline. He says, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I, may sh- I myself should be disqualified. That disqualified, he's using a, he's using a, uh, an athletic word to, to talk about that imperishable prize that we wouldn't get halfway and, and, and miss the mark, that, but that we, would be, that we would be disciplined. What does it mean to be disciplined? Well, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, we, for, the mom- for, for the moment, all discipline seems painful. But rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So again, an athletic metaphor, this metaphor of training and that discipline trains us. But Christians aren't training to be good runners or Christians aren't training to be good boxers. It's fine if that's your hobby, but that's not your Christian pursuit. Your Christian pursuit is righteousness. For the, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. This is our goal. Our goal is to train in the righteousness of Christ. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul encourages Timothy. He says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Now, I included verse 7 here because I wanted you to see this. Like, the, the, there's, there's all of these aimless ways that we could run and think we're running after Christ. And Paul calls them irreverent, silly myths. Okay? But there's one path. He says, rather train yourself for godliness. There's that metaphor again. Training discipline for godliness. So we're running the path that's towards Christ. And he says, for while bodily training is of some value, so I guess running's okay, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For this end, we toil and strive. That means we work hard because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe. Discipline is training. Discipline is toiling and striving. Discipline is working hard. It's rigorous. It's, it's difficult. It's, 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 it's demanding. It requires something of us, but it's, it's worth it because it leads to godliness. It leads to righteousness. Ultimately, it leads to Christ. Yesterday at our men's conference, we gave our men a fairly lengthy book. And I told Pastor Jay, in private before we started. I said, listen, when we give out this book, I'm gonna be listening. And if any of these men in here complain that this book is long, they're gonna be a sermon illustration. (laughs) Now, fortunately, maybe you said it, but you didn't say it loud enough for me to hear it. So nobody became the sermon illustration. But in that book, we gave a book called Disciplines of a Godly Man. And in that book, Kent Hughes, the author says, The understanding that vigorous spiritual discipline is essential to godliness accords with the universal understanding that discipline is necessary to accomplish anything in life. There is nothing that is worth achieving that isn't difficult. And we're going to have to discipline ourselves to obtain it. 
So, so let's just be honest. We, we often work hard at our jobs so we can get ahead. We work hard at our hobbies because we enjoy them. We work hard at home because we love our families. But we so often give minimal effort to spiritual disciplines because they're, not, they're just not that important to us. Everything else we'll work hard at. We'll play at the Christian life. So then while Christian discipline is so often spoken of in these kind of nebulous terms, people don't understand what it means. So what is it? Christian discipline is, according to these passages, the incremental application of biblical principles in our lives as we seek to obey Christ. And so what we do is we go to Scripture. As Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and get this, for training in righteousness that the man of God may com- be complete, equipped for every good work. So your spiritual discipline needs to be based on what God has said is righteous and what, how God has said you should pursue righteousness. So what we do is we go to the scripture. And in scripture, we see people pray, so we train ourselves to pray. In Scripture, we see people fast, so we train ourselves to fast. In Scripture, we see people give, so we train ourselves to give. In Scripture, we see people sacrifice, so we train ourselves to sacrifice. In Scripture, we see people serve others, so we train ourselves to serve others. We don't have to overcomplicate spiritual disciplines, even though they're difficult. We simply set our minds to do that which we see in Scripture, and little by little, incrementally, we practice it, and we practice it, and we practice it, keeping our eyes on the prize that is Christ. So what? I have a corporate application for us today, because while the examples that Paul gives are all individual sports, he uses individual athletic metaphors because there were no team sports in ancient, in the ancient games. They, did, they didn't exist. Well, they do exist now. More of our sports are team sports than they are individual. And so I want to make a corporate application The local church must be a people committed to diligent training of its members in all matters of Christian perseverance. The local church must be a people committed to diligent training of its members in all matters of Christian perseverance. For instance, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul calls that church the end of that letter. He says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to attain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, so the the gospel's true, Jesus is our prize, therefore encourage one another and build one another up, just as you were doing. This is, the, this is what the church is supposed to do. Remember, this small paragraph is in the context of what Paul is saying in chapters 8, 9, and 10 of 1 Corinthians, where he is calling the church at Corinth and the members of it to sacrifice their rights one for another. Because some will give themselves over to idolatry. And so there's certainly a a large corporate component here. The church should be like a training gym where spiritually hard, sweaty work is done, where we train one another in godliness. So let me just go back to my my kind of running illustration. Yesterday, we drive up to Richmond, we go to this gymnastics meet, and for the first time... AJ is the 
He's like 25 kids on his team. They all compete in levels. There's only one kid on his team that's a higher level than him. And for the first time, they've been on this team for years together. For the first time, they were in a session together, meaning they were competing at the same time. They weren't competing against each other. And this kid is, is the highest level that you can be. And so there were some of the best junior Olympic g- gymnasts on the East Coast. We're at this, at this meet, competing at the same time as AJ yesterday. And Christian and I are getting to watch him. We're just, just kind of in awe. And here's what I noticed yesterday as I'm watching this, that the more advanced these gymnasts are, and these were certainly some advanced junior Olympic gymnasts, the more they support one another. You see, when they're just starting out, they don't really cheer for each other a whole lot. They don't really correct one another a whole lot. They're, they're not really kind of coaching alongside. But, but here's what you see. When you get up to that kind of advanced stage, when these kids have been doing this for years and years and years, there was more cheering at that meet last night than any of the other ones we've ever been to. There was more camaraderie amongst those boys than any of the others we'd ever been to. Why? Because they have been in this together for a long time. They're supporting one another and they're encouraging one another. They're calling one another to do better and they're helping one another do better. Church, that is what the gathered body of Christ must be. You're not alone in this. We need to do this together, which means you've got to allow people to do that for you, and you've got to do it for others. It's just in the timing and providence of God that I'm preaching this the day after the men of our church were challenged to do this very thing. This is what we talked about yesterday at the men's conference. We didn't plan this sermon that way. It just the Lord knows, and the Lord did it. So the men of our church have already received this challenge. I want the fullness of our membership to hear this. We are in this together, and you need to be contributing to the discipleship of someone else, and someone else needs to be contributing to the discipleship of you. That's what it means to be a training gym. That's what it means to run the race together, to persevere together with this as our desired outcome. What Paul writes at the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is our aim. It's not to stand on an earthly podium one day. It's not to receive some perishable wreath or perishable prize. Our corporate aim should be to build one another up so that all of us can say, when my time has come, I can say, I ran the race, I fought the fight, I kept the faith, I go to receive the eternal crown. That's our goal. Oh, in church, it's so, while the race is difficult, it is so much easier to get there together. So may we be a church that diligently pursues Christ, not just as individuals, but together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the eternal crown that is Jesus. Not some monetary reward, not some popularity or notoriety, but Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Help us to keep our eyes affixed on him. 
regardless of how difficult the race becomes. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on him. Regardless of how tempting this world may be and the pleasures of it, let us keep our eyes fixed on him. Regardless of when we think the discipline isn't worth it, let us keep our eyes fixed on him and let us do so together, running the race with diligence and perseverance so that we may hear one day, well done, my good and faithful servant. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that equips us in this race. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Church, will you stand with us as we sing?